0: We continue in a series that we began last Sunday entitled, In the Beginning. And in that message to open the series, we looked at Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3, and verses 26 and 27, and dealt with the question, what is God? And we saw that God gives us the answer. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And the Trinity is actually in Genesis 1 as we saw God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son Jesus in that creative process to make man in the image of God or like God. Today we continue in that series by looking at all of Genesis 1. Genesis 1 verse 1 through verse 31 as we raise the question today, what is right, creation, Evolution Which theory of origins is really making the most sense? Is it God's creative power or all things happen by chance, by accident, without God, according to evolution. What makes the most sense? As we deal with that question, I ask you to turn to Genesis 1:1. This is a great time for folks new to Bible study to find the passage. Right there in Genesis 1, verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible, and if you're physically able, let's stand now out of respect and honor to God and His Word. We'll read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll skip down and read verse 31. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning one day. Verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Father, as we stand before you, the God of the universe, our creator, we pray that you will speak to us today through your word, And I pray, Father, that every person, whether they're joining us online, whether they're in this room worshiping, that every person will come to you with an open mind today, open to allowing you to speak as you reveal your truth to all of us right where we live. Father, we need you. And we pray that our understanding of origins and how it all began will be more clear when we leave today than ever before. And Lord, as we pray this prayer, we thank you that we can know you, our Creator, through the person of Jesus Christ. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. A little girl about second or third grade was asking her mom this question where did I come from and the mom gulped she'd been knowing this question was going to eventually come and so she took a deep breath and she began in a very in-depth biological anatomical lecture about sex and what her daughter needed to learn and in the middle of all that her daughter began to look bored and she said mom I just want to know am I from Birmingham or Atlanta <laughs> sometimes we're not really following the same wavelength of where our children are and helping them to be enlightened and educated but our own origins are fascinating all of us are interested with our own origin but the origin of all creation And all mankind is even more important than that. And so today we deal with that. How did it all begin? What makes the most sense? Creation by Almighty God or evolution that everything just happened by chance? Now, with these two competing views about origins, let's begin with what is the dominant accepted thought in the western world and that is evolution a little background charles darwin in 1859 wrote this book and let me quote the exact name of the book be sure i've got it right that book is the origins of species by means of natural selection and he proposed a whole new way of looking at origins that completely leaves god out It's the idea that it just all happened by accident, life beginning in the simplest form and going to the more complex of human life in the development or evolving of what we would call creation. There was also within Charles Darwin's theory that there was the idea of what is called the survival of the fittest. Certainly those that are the strongest will survive, and that is going to influence how all of what is natural or in nature will evolve. Twelve years later, Charles Darwin wrote another book entitled The Descent of Man, in which he proposed that human beings actually evolve from apes. And when you look at the similarity of apes or gorillas with human beings, you can see where somebody might say, well, there are a lot of similarities there. I can see where if you're going to believe that all of life is just evolving— That it would make sense that you go from apes to mankind, but that created quite a stink, if you will, because the dominant thought in Western culture was certainly from a biblical Christian view at that point. But what was so interesting is that science began to grab a hold of what was an idea of Charles Darwin and over time began to embrace it as absolute fact. Then later on, the Big Bang Theory occurred, this giant explosion from which our universe evolved and from which somehow with all the gaseous fumes of that explosion, somehow simple life originated. Now, you hear initially about the Big Bang Theory and you almost think it is Genesis 1-3 where Jesus said, Let there be light. But the difference in the Big Bang Theory is there is no God involved. It just happened. Now, it's very interesting that Darwin, near the end of his life, I want to read you a quote he said because he himself admitted near the end of his life that he just proposed an idea and it caught on like wildfire. And in My Life in Letters, volume one by Charles Darwin, he says this, not one change of species into another is on record. In other words, the man who proposed that there was this giant leap, this mutation from one species to another admitted near the end of his life that there was still nothing on record that proved that. Now that's very interesting because the argument within science that just sees things from a natural or materialistic perspective with no allowance for the supernatural or the miraculous has embraced evolution as a fact, very dogmatic in that, But perhaps the best-known atheist of our generation, Richard Dawkins, in The Blind Watchmaker, he wrote these words in talking about that. And think about what he's saying as I read this. It should be on the screen. He says, a third respect in which our brains seem predisposed to resist Darwinism stems from our great success as creative designers. In other words, as man creates and invents and there's order in the world that causes man to be skeptical of darwinism that idea and evolution that all this happened by chance he goes on it took a very large leap of the imagination for darwin to see that contrary to all intuition there's another way and once you've understood it a far more plausible way for complex design to arise out of prime, primeval simplicity or some say primeval slime A leap of the imagination so large that to this day, many people seem still unwilling to make it. It is the main purpose of this book, to help the reader make this leap. Now, what is so ironic here is that so often atheists and agnostic and evolutionary scientists say that Christians just have blind faith. Well, what you just heard is one of the graphic examples of a statement of blind faith. He is saying that even though all the evidence weighs to an intelligent designer behind all this, I am going to challenge you in this book to make this great leap of your imagination. That's what's called blind faith, where you have no evidence, but want to believe that this is true. That's pretty ironic. So there's no doubt that Darwin introduced this mindset. It was an idea. It was a theory. Science began to embrace it where today in the majority of the scientific community and the majority in the educational community will teach this is fact. What does God say? Well, God has given us what we need to understand about his creative power. It doesn't fill in all the details of how it works and how he did it. That is science job but he tells us a lot let's begin in verse 1 where we were last Sunday in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth that's a statement that God did it both the heavens and the earth that is a statement that from the very first sentence of the word of God it says evolution atheism naturalism materialism it is not true verse 2 The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. This is the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Godhead involved in this creative process. Verse 3, then God said, the Word of God we saw in John 1, verse 1 through 3, and verse 14, the Word of God is Jesus. The Word of God said, let there be light, and there was light. That is Jesus. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Now, here we see in the first day of creation that there is a separation of light and darkness. The sun is not even created till day four. So obviously, this is Jesus. Revelation 22, 5 makes it very clear that when Christ comes and there's a new heaven and new earth, there will be no more night. We will have the light of Christ. There will not be need for lamps in the darkness. We will have Jesus. And so understanding that we see in day one the creative process has come about because God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son are working in harmony with one another to bring this about. But that is just the beginning. Now, what is also fascinating, you're going to find some of your skeptical friends that say, well, you know, evolution is a fact, and I don't believe what Genesis 1 says. Science has proved that that is wrong, because after all, the earth has gone on for billions of years. Well, it's very interesting. Keep your finger there at Genesis 1. Turn way deep into the New Covenant, the New Testament, the 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. The Word of God says this, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord to the Lord One day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Now, there's no doubt that what is described by God in verses one and two could be over billions of years, but there's also no doubt that during that time, before the creative process even began, eternity meant there was no time. And yet God's word is saying that to God, one day can be a thousand years, a thousand years, one day in the early creative process. If somebody wants to argue and say, I believe it's been going on billions of years, you can say, well, that's very interesting because the Bible gives you some credence for even believing that. Look at 2 Peter 3.8. You might find as you're sharing with a non-believer or a skeptic that they're stunned that the Word of God even says this. Now, I personally believe that because God is almighty that nothing is impossible so He could create in six 24-hour days. I believe that. But it is interesting in the beginning of this process that 2 Peter 3 eight can add to a liveliness of discussion with a person who is skeptical about God. But we read day two, verse six. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven's. And there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. Now, do you see what God is saying about a day? You go to Israel today, and you note that if you're there on Friday, that Shabbat or Sabbath begins at dusk on Friday, and it ends at dusk on Saturday. Why? Because in the Hebrew understanding from the Old Covenant, going all the way back to Genesis 1, the day begins at dusk and darkness, whereas in Western culture, we tend to believe that the day begins in the morning at dawn. But what you see described here in the second day is the separation of the waters above and the waters below. Now, how to explain that? I don't know how to explain it. I'm not a scientist. This is a very challenging message for me to bring to you today because I'm not a scientist. But if anybody can explain to me this day two of the separation of the waters above the waters below, maybe your meteorologist, has all kind of insight. I'll be glad to hear. But bottom line, this is the beginning of the heavens as described in day two. Day three, verse nine, then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and the dry land appear and it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called the seas and God said it was very good. Now, I want you to look at this map of the world. This is the first part of day three. If you look at this map of the world, you'll see that where Africa is, where South America is, it's almost like you can just see God's hands pulling that land mass apart. It's almost like they were fit together. And you almost get a picture of God's creative powers. I don't know if that's the case. That's just my pure speculation. But it is fascinating that on the third day God separates the land from the water. But there was something else He did on the third day. Verse 11. Then God said, "Let the earth sprout vegetation, plant yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit. Listen to this: after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plant yielding seed." after their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind and God saw that it was good there was evening and there was morning the third day now we see the beginning of vegetation we see the beginning of fruits fruit trees vegetation now note what God says in this creative process he says with the vegetables with vegetation they are created and reproduce after their kind don't miss this this is very important I promise you, if you plant an apple tree in North Georgia, you're not going to get an orange tree. I'll bet on it 100% of the time. And if it happens, let me know about it. I want to write an article about it. It will be the first time in all of history. If you plant azaleas because you want to have beautiful azaleas in your garden and up come rose bushes, let me know about it it's never happened in the history of earth because vegetation and fruit reproduce after their kind the order in creation is extraordinary day four verse 14 then God said let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day and the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years now The first thing you see on day four is the seasons, the signs of the seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter, unless you live in the Caribbean or Hawaii or San Diego. But even they have spring, summer, fall, and winter. It's just not as dramatic as you have in Longview. But not only that, let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day. Obviously, that's the sun, the lesser light to govern the night. That's obviously the moon. And he made the stars also. We saw last week that astronomers are estimating there are over 300 sextillion stars. That's three with 23 zeros after it. And we saw how God not only made them all, but he's named them all. And here it's almost like an afterthought. And he made the stars also. Pretty amazing. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Now up until this point you could make an argument that maybe god's time frame for days is a little different from ours but from here on out it's very difficult to make that argument because with the sun and the morning and night you see a 24-hour day very clearly and i have no problem believing in a 24-hour day in all six days of the process but from here on out it's very difficult to argue against that day number five verse 20 then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the sea and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Now, I don't know how many of you are fishermen, but when you go fishing, whether it's freshwater or seawater, or whether you're right in that mix, Ann and I, after Christmas and over New Year's, were with our son and his wife at their place down in the, near the Gulf Coast where the rivers come into the Gulf waters. There, a fascinating place to be amidst all the marsh. And we went fishing. Now, I want you to see a little of the results of that. This, that's, I'm pretty, pretty excited about that. That's a redfish. Really excited about that. But let me show you. Something. Oh, look at Ann. That's a snook. That's a talk. And then Ann also caught a pretty good sized redfish. She was looking really good. But now I've got something to tell you. Uh, listen, are you listening? There's never been in the history of Earth a snook that produced a redfish. We caught black drums, we caught sea bass, we caught red snapper. And in the history of man, they haven't yet found a red snapper that brings about a sea bass. Because God in his creative power makes creation bring about more in creation after their kind. It's pretty amazing. You're not going to have any chickadees that produce buzzards. You're not going to have any eagles that produce a Baltimore Oriole. It's just not going to work that way. God creates his creation as it becomes more complex after its kind. Don't miss that. Day 6 verse 24 Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind and God saw that it was good. Now day 6 God begins to make the animals and the reptiles and it's very clear there are a lot of places in Texas where you've got those big rattlesnakes but as far as we know a rattlesnake never produced a cow it hadn't happened as far as we know a rattlesnake hadn't produced a frog Because God is very clear in his creative process with each species it is after its kind. Now, you might see some variety within the species of dogs and variety within the horse species that produces a mule. But when it comes to species, it is produced after its kind. Verse 26. Then God said, let us, note the plurality of God, Elohim, make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed him. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky over everything that moves on the earth. Folks, don't miss the climatic moment of God's creation. It is you you mankind this is the climatic moment because we are the only creation of God made in his image we can think like him we can't create out of nothing as he does but we can create we can't think with the greatness of God but we can think and reason we also have a sense of moral consciousness that is different from the other creation we have a sense of identity and wondering about our purpose that is different from other creation We appreciate beauty and music. We are made in the image of God. We have language and communication that is different from the animal kingdom. And so God comes to his climatic creation. It is you and me made in the image of God, male and female, made in the image of God. And in light of all of this, look at what God says in the completion of the creative process. Verse 29. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that's on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit-yielding seed, and it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day now for some of you this is really going to make you a little antsy you're big hunters and do you realize what God's word is telling us there was no killing there was no hunting now I've got several bucks on our living room wall I want you to know I'll confess that to you and I'm thankful God allowed it come Genesis 9 but when creation came about the animals weren't killing animals to eat man wasn't killing animals to eat there was no killing God provided all the vegetation and the fruit that every living being needed. And he said, man, it's very good. And it is. Now hearing what God says about the creative process, I want to share with you why I believe that what God's word says about creation makes the most sense versus evolution where everything happened by chance and I want to encourage you because right now this has been kind of a heavy message and what some of you aren't that interested in so here's what I want to ask you to do would you write these down because you're going to forget it if you don't do it write down a few reasons why I really believe that what God's word says about creation makes the most sense number one I believe it takes more faith to believe in evolution than to believe what God did as the intelligent designer of the universe. We've already seen what Richard Dawkins says in The Blind Watchmaker, basically calling on us to take this great leap of imagination because the evidence is overwhelming that there's an intelligent designer behind it all. That's really what he's saying. But it also just makes more sense. I want you to look at this on the screen of an eyeball. Now I know that's not too pretty to a lot of you, but it really is extraordinary. Do you see all those parts to the human eye? And here's what's so amazing. Every time a human life comes about, there's an eyeball in those two cavities in the brain. Now, some might have deformity, Some might be blind because of the fallenness of man since sin. And we'll talk about that later on. Things aren't always working as God has originally intended them. But that eyeball, that's a pretty remarkable creation. And in every human life, there are eyeballs like that. Not something else in the sockets. You know, I I see something like that, and I, I know some of you are in the medical science world. You're a doctor or nurse or a physician's assistant. I don't see how you can practice your art and not believe in God. I mean, when you really see how complex and amazing human life is, and that's just human life. That doesn't include the dogs and the lions and the cats. It's extraordinary. But not only that. I think the evidence is overwhelming for an intelligent designer but look at this picture it's called an iPhone a lot of you have one I have one it's changed our life when Steve Jobs introduced it in 2007 it changed the world literally changed the world y'all know that some of you are dying right now you're dying to look at your iPhone who sent me a text what's the latest tweet you're dying you're just every ounce of energy to contain yourself it's become so addictive to so many of you well I wanna tell you something you may not know. Steve Jobs introduced this with his great genius and his Apple personnel there, but here's what really happened. He was out in Silicon Valley one day and he was walking along, there was a factory explosion down the street and he's noticed this iPhone was right there on the sidewalk in front of it. That's how it happened, really, that's how it happened. Now you look at me and say, this guy really has lost his mind. And certainly I would have lost my mind to make a statement like that, but listen, are you listening? Human life, animal life, far more complex than any iPhone, as extraordinary as it is. You would never believe that an iPhone arose out of a great explosion and just arrived there where Steve Jobs could take credit for it. You'd never believe that. Because you know there was an intelligent designer behind it all. iPhone doesn't come close to human life, not even close it just makes more sense when you see God's creation to believe that there's an intelligent designer who is God behind it all. That's number one. Number two, if evolution is right, this book, the Bible, is wrong, and it contains a lie on the very first page. And if the Bible begins with a lie, what else in here is suspect? Really? I mean, what else is suspect? Now understand this, when you feel like you're an enlightened person and you believe evolution because science says it's a fact, but you also believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because you know there are two things you cannot discount if you're going to be a Christian. One is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that Jesus rose from the dead. You can't be a Christian if you don't believe that. But why is it that some of you watching online, some of you in this room, you believe that evolution is true? and you believe the resurrection is true. How intellectually inconsistent can you be? I have a hunch you believe in the resurrection because you want fire insurance. But the fact is, if God can raise a man from the dead, his boy, his son, he can create the universe. There is no limitations to the greatness and the power of God. So realize what you're doing. If you reject what Genesis 1 says, you're saying that page 1 of God's Word is a lie. That's what you're saying. So how you respond is going to shape your worldview. Number three, number three. Be sure you're clear on the difference in micro and macro evolution. It's vitally important. As a student in a high school biology class or a student going off to college, you hear a professor or a teacher say, evolution's absolutely true. There is a part of what that teacher is saying is true, and that is microevolution. What is microevolution? That is an evolving within the species. If any of you in the pesticide business, you know those bugs, they adjust to that pesticide. They change. What works one year doesn't work the next year. Go Google it. Look at the changes that prove mutations, that prove evolution. Look at the changes that are listed. Sickle cell anemia, cystic fibrosis, or this dark mice became a white mice, but it's still a mice. The fact is, you'll see microevolution is absolutely true. You can tell that teacher, that person, you're telling the truth, but you're telling the half-truth. Because macroevolution is yet to be proved it is still a theory there is no scientific evidence that some cat became a dog some goat became a cow they're just some ape became a man and God emphatically in Genesis 1 wants us to know that when it comes to species they multiply and procreate after their kind that's just the opposite of a monkey becoming a man it's just the opposite so when it comes to evolution if a teacher says it is true you can say yes I know teacher I know professor I know it's true within the species but could you just give me one example of one species become another and the proof of it just ask your professor and teacher that there's no proof to this day not only did Darwin admit that near the end of his life but to this day with all the scientific discovery no proof number four The more science discovers, the more evolution is on shaky ground. For instance, let me give you a couple examples. Darwin, with his theory of evolution, talked about the simple cell becoming more complex. And then a year after he wrote his first book in 1859, the microscope was invented. And the microscope, over time, as they began to improve and improve, they began to realize that a cell is not simple at all. It's incredibly complex. So this whole idea of one simple cell becoming a complex creation like human being over time, that doesn't even add up because of what science has discovered when microscopes came along. And in the mid-20th century when DNA was discovered, now you're really talking about great leaps of faith. I'm no scientist. I can't explain the details of DNA, but I do at least understand this. It makes it a lot tougher on the evolutionists than it does on those who believe God has created it all but that is not all number five the role of science is to explain what god has done and how it works now listen very carefully the bible and christianity is not anti-science that's a terrible mistake science has a beautiful high calling to explain what god has done how he does it how his creation works that is the role of science we are to be grateful for that But when science dogmatically makes itself God, that is idolatry. And that is opposite of what God has in mind. And think about how science changes. I don't know about y'all. I've lived long enough that science authoritatively says eggs are bad. Then 10, 20 years later, science comes back, eggs are really good. I mean, think about science going to the dentist. They've taught me half a dozen ways to brush my teeth authoritatively because science has proved this is the best way to do it. Well, why don't they get Think about COVID-19. The big argument is trust science. Well, science is all over the map with COVID-19. How do you trust it when it's all over the map? You see, science is constantly changing because science is discovering what God has done and trying to offer an explanation for it. But science is not to be God that is idolatry that is arrogance and you have to decide but number six evolution always leads to amorality. what do we mean well listen this concept of survival of the fittest adolf hitler joseph stalin chairman mile they love that concept because it's all about whoever's most powerful is the one that is right they love that And yet, even with individuals, evolution leads to amorality because if we're all here by chance, it's just an accident, there's no God over it all, then I'm going to do what I want to do. And even when it comes to feeling certain things are right, I'm going to do what I feel is right versus what God says is right. Evolution always leads to amorality and chaos and eventually anarchy. And then someone grabs a hold of the power and seeks to force a culture to adhere to a certain ideology it's just you always see it evolution always leads to amorality because after all I'm just going to do what I want to do you think stealing's wrong well that's your opinion I got a different idea you think greed is wrong hey I got a different idea from you how do you know greed is wrong well it just is well how do you know I mean it just it's crazy really in the end when you think about it but that's not all number seven science never answers the ultimate question of who put it all in motion whether Darwin's theory whether it is the big bang theory still the question is why did it occur who put it in motion every action leads to a reaction how did it come about who got it all started what got it all started it never really answers the beginning of origins but here's the big reason this is the biggest the reason i believe that creation makes the most sense is jesus in matthew 19:4 jesus literally quotes genesis 1:28 he's asked about divorce and when he's asked about divorce, he talks about the beauty of marriage and what God had in mind. And he quotes Genesis 128, in the beginning, God created them male and female. Actually, it's verse 27, excuse me, Genesis 127. And so we see that Jesus believes that Genesis 1 is true. We see that Jesus made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount that he hadn't come to do away with any law or teaching of the old covenant he has come to fulfill it the reason I believe Genesis 1 is because Jesus believes it and Jesus has given his life for me on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sin and not only that Jesus rose from the dead so that I might conquer death as well And the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ historically is so overwhelming that I think it just makes the most sense to believe that Jesus is true. And if Jesus believes that what God says in Genesis 1 is true, then I'm going to believe Jesus. How about you? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. That really is the truth. Do you believe it? Will you believe it? because how you respond to the first page of the Bible is going to shape your worldview like nothing else. In the beginning, God created the heavens and you. Let's pray. Father God, Awesome, supernatural, almighty, all-powerful God. A God so great we can't even come close to comprehending you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God in the flesh, in Jesus, that allows us to see you and know you and follow you and trust you. Almighty God, we are in awe at you, the master artist, in your creative power. And Father, it's my prayer today that for any follower of Jesus, today has enriched and strengthened their relationship with you, their trust in you. And Father, for those who are skeptics that are sitting out in the seats, that are joining us online, that believe evolution is a fact because science and education says it is so, I pray that today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they might just think, just think with an open mind what makes the most sense. Father, I believe you, most of all because I believe Jesus. I pray that for everyone here. For we pray this pray- prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.